Hi, Vetfolio Boys friends. Thanks for tuning in to this episode sponsored by Zoetis and featuring Dr. Patrick Flynn, president of the Human Animal Bond Association. As we'll learn, Dr. Flynn has a master's degree in anthrozoology, giving him a unique perspective on the relationship between humans and animals and how our approach to communicating with pet parents can help foster trust between pet parents and their veterinary team and ultimately result in better care for their pets. Dr. Flynn received his veterinary degree from the Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine in 1994 and practiced companion animal medicine and surgery for 13 years before joining then Pfizer, now Zoetis. His passion and curiosity for the scientific study of the role other animals play in our life and vice versa led him to Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, where he completed a Master's of Science in Anthrozoology or the Study of Human-Animal Interactions. He's one of the very few veterinarians with this qualification. Additionally, he's president of the Human Animal Bond Association, formerly the American Association of Human Animal Bond Veterinarians, have certified through the NAVC Institute as well as being a content contributor, and a certified compassion fatigue professional. He's also completed graduate work in the One Health program offered by the Department of Environmental and Global Health in the College of Public Health and Health Professions at the University of Florida. Go Gators, let's go ahead and get into our episode. All right, so today we have with us the president of the Human Animal Bond Association, Dr. Patrick Flynn. Dr. Flynn, tell us a little bit more about your experience and, and kind of your passion around the subject of the human animal bond. Oh, glad to. I hope you have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think it was very similar to, to many of us. When it started when I was little, I had an interesting experience or influence. And my, my mom was a nurse. We were in a small town and she spent a lot of time in, in a clinic, which wasn't that different than a veterinary clinic. And I just had a lot of interest in how things work. How does my finger work? How does a muscle contract? And so I then just really kind of morphed into an interest in veterinary medicine and, and all creatures, not just humans. And so... Yeah, I was in practice for uh, about 14 and a half, 15 years and enjoyed that very much. And interestingly, about, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I just by randomly kind of read a book by Meg Daly Olmert called Made for Each Other. It's mostly about how dogs and people kind of came together and, and just co-evolved. It's just it's a really cool, fascinating book. A little bit about horses as well. But what really turned me on was the discussion about the neurochemicals that exist and probably stuff that we don't even know about yet but particularly things like oxytocin and other things that drove our ability to connect on both sides of the equation, dogs in addition. And then that led me to finding out a word I'd never heard before, anthrozoology, which is this, basically the study of human-animal interaction, and to be able to go and get a master's degree from Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, in that specifically. So kind of a rare bird now with all of these weird various types of degrees, and that's what's led me to become president of the Human Animal Bond Association. So you have a master's degree in a word I just learned today. (laughs) (laughs) You're not alone. So I understand that you have kind of a bond-centered approach to client conversations in the exam room. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, it's something kind of new, and I, I hope you'll find fairly simple. I like new and simple things. The thing is, we've all experienced the challenges of trying to effectively communicate recommendations in the clinic. To be honest, we've got to be educational, we've got to be accurate, and really we got to be pretty fast about it. 
And the client has, you know, now that I go to the clinic now and then as a, as a client, we all have a million things in our brain and we are hearing stuff hitting at, come from the staff and from the veterinarian so fast, it really is hard to focus and, and listen. And so most of the time what people are doing is just bracing for the final number of what the bill is going to be. So there's a lot of white noise in their head. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can certainly understand that. I mean, especially right now with things being as expensive as they are, I think we're all being conscious of what we're spending. And that can be a tough conversation to navigate when we're talking about a pet. I'm thinking, for example, my dryer needs to be fixed. It is only like somewhat drying clothes, but you know, it's more of like a nuisance, more of a convenience type of thing, rather than talking about something being wrong with like my pet, which would be a much more emotional situation. That's so true. I mean, it really, it's, there are similarities and parallels, but the, the reality is they're really quite different. One of my favorite lines is no one's ever said that toilet is like a child to me, to a plumber, you know, we, but we hear that every day. We <laughs> sure. hear that all the time. And we have an amazing responsibility and an amazing job that we do. Our clients come to us because of a specific emotional bond to another soul. And that bond is the result of all sorts of things, experiences and beliefs ranging from cultural perspectives religious traditions, and then a whole lifetime of previous experiences with other animals. And so when we take into account the other animal's perspective, as I say, the non-human animal's perspective of reality, that's when we really start to wrap our brains around what we call the human-animal bond. And so by definition here, the human-animal bond is kind of nebulous. So from your perspective, what does that bond-centered approach really look like? Yeah, it is. It is if we look at it at the macro level. But the good news is the human-animal bond is actually not so nebulous when we get to the individual connection. It's usually well-defined by those in that relationship. The individuals who are bonded to each other, whether they're both humans or whether they're both animals or, or, or a mix of the two, they tend to see that bond as an amalgam, really, of experience and memories with other individuals. And that's what kind of differentiates it. Individuals who've never existed before that and will never exist again, and with whom endless replaceable events have occurred. I mean, put succinctly, it's family. This is wonderful, and it's also simultaneously at the core of our recommendation challenges in the clinic. How could we ever hope to be a trusted advisor with the clout to make recommendations for the healthcare of this wonderful creature when we speak like mechanics plumbers? Sure. And I do think a lot of us are, are very conscious of our conversations when we're talking to owners about their beloved pets, their beloved family members. But, you know, it is sort of a learned skill to walk that line between being clear and being distinct with our recommendations, but also maintaining that compassion. So especially given the fact that time is not always on our side in those conversations, for those kind of starting to navigate that skill set, what advice would you give them? Well, I agree. I mean, I, I was the guy who was running 45 minutes behind seeing rooms for pretty much my whole career. So I know what you mean. It is tough. It's a pain. And so if, if you're already starting to think this is a kind of an odd approach, just, just hang with me because there's, there's more to the story. What we were taught in school and then what we in turn teach our staff and, and our younger veterinarians is to speak uh, in, in a specific way. And we talk about the dog in a very generic term. And we don't even know we do it. I did it for years and years and years. It sounds like, yeah, we, uh, we see this in time to time, from time to time in the, in the dog. Okay, and this is a concern for dogs. We speak that way to our clients. And meanwhile, the, the client is thinking, 
yeah, well, this is my dog. This is not a dog. You, you don't seem to know my dog. I do. And I'm not hearing anything that you're saying that sounds like it would affect my dog. And in fact, every time I hear this doctor say the dog, he becomes less of an expert on my dog. And I've experienced that where they start to kind of drift away on you or they come up with odd pushbacks on what you're trying to recommend. And we were taught to have also almost exclusively one-way conversations with clients. We really don't let them contribute so much to the information gathering. And this sadly has been proven in multiple studies in both physicians and veterinarians. There's time crunch, but it's also kind of cultural and what we learned. Sadly, even a fantastically skilled clinician will not have the impact that uh, he or she should you know, if they're not able to connect with clients on a level beyond just medical knowledge. The most successful clinic models now are the ones that are moving away from transactional approaches towards relationship-based ones, one that recognizes each relationship as unique as a nose print. Absolutely. And I feel like I've seen both sides of that. And I'm I'm so fortunate to work in a clinic where we really do emphasize that human-animal bond and focus on that communication. But you know, absolutely. I recognize the time commitment involved. For example, you mentioned running 45 minutes behind and anyone who's worked with me can attest to having pulled me out of exam rooms because (laughs) I was sitting there chatting away with the owner. So it's definitely finding a balance between making that connection and also making clear recommendations and doing so in this set amount of time. Oh yeah, you're right. It can be a disaster. And I think we've all seen that, you know, not you and I, but I'm sure other veterinarians have made a mess of that. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. <laughs> I was always right on. Johnny on the um, spot. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is we need to learn to listen a little bit differently. We didn't get that in school. It's frustrating. I mean, they only have four years and I, I understand it, but we don't listen sometimes. And so we miss so much good stuff when our ears are turned off. And that's when the client is sitting up front or they're walking to the exam room, or they're in the room talking about just what appears to be blah, blah, not much going on, and then checking out. In those times, what are they doing? They're telling stories. They're telling stories and sharing experiences and giving specific information, not about the dog, but their dog. I mean, they tell us like, whoa, my God, you should have seen me got into a huge bag of flour at Christmas time. And, uh, or she loves people, I think, more than dogs. Oh, what a great car rider he is. Or this is why she's a little shy today. And normally I know for many years, I was like, well, whatever, Baba, that's, that's static. I, I, I don't need this information, but it turns out it actually really is important. And what's interesting is these stories are almost always punctuated by an explanatory statement about the pet's personality. It sounds like, oh yeah, you should see her. She's a total athlete. She runs and runs like crazy. Or this guy is the biggest couch potato. I mean, you'd never know it, but he just lays on the deck all day long out in the sun. So that's the key though. In those discussions, in those small stories, absolutely actually is where we find the skill to get through the white noise in a client's head. And it's the exact frequency to which we need to tune. So let's talk about vaccine recommendations. Practicing veterinarians have been told since the 90s. I am one of them to build vaccine protocols loosely around a term called lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So that always conjures up images either of hunting dogs or chihuahuas in skyscrapers and like nothing in between. So you (laughs) kind of like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do here. (laughs) I don't have a chihuahua or a hunting dog. 
And so most of us and our clients were left pretty confused, choosing our battles, you know, like, ugh, I go through the battle of offering a Lyme vaccine to a dog in Florida. I don't know. I, you know it's going to eat up a whole bunch of time. I'm probably going to lose that battle anyway. Or a dog who lives in the high rise in Orlando or Chicago. Or, am I going to talk to them about leptospirosis? Do I really want to burn up the time on that? And a lot of us have said, it's just, it's just not worth it. And so that's the part of the goal that I'm trying to accomplish with this tool in that there must be an easier way to do this considering the client behavior is already identified in that form. So the tool is painfully simple. It's just very little need for the clinic staff to do much. The idea is that the client would see this either online before they come into their appointment or the day of while they're waiting for the few seconds to go into the room, review this short list of traits, different types of dogs and identify their dog as one. Interesting thing about this is at this stage in the game, the freedom is completely the client's. Their interpretation is, is accurate no matter what it is. Our interpretation of the dog from the clinic may be radically different, but that's okay. This is an exercise in empathy and seeing the world through another's reality, through their eyes. So it should take just a few seconds, really, if that, and it'll be kind of fun for them. And it will generate organic conversation almost immediately, because this is something that people have not come across before. And what comes out of them, I, I can almost guarantee will be rich in diagnostic information. Stuff will come out. So remember that the person who said, you got to see my dog laying out on the deck all day out in the sun. Boy, is that an easy jump now to start talking about heartworm prevention? Not because, you know, that's what we do with dogs. It's because, you know, the behavior that you're talking about with your dog, that sounds amazingly wonderful. You're relaxing. I wish I was out there on the deck with him. But, you know, there, it does make me worry about mosquito exposure for him. And so now we're talking about a recommendation based on that individual dog that you're picturing that dog on the deck. Let's focus on that dog. So it's hanging with me. I mean, that, that's the beginning. That's, that's where we're going. I was going to say, no, he doesn't have mosquitoes. He lives in a gated community. <laughs> He's in a gated no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> love it. So here's how it, I see it working, how it can work. The client goes through and reviews the descriptions. And so they have decided now that their four-year-old golden retriever, Magnus, is the quintessential good citizen. He loves everybody. He's a good boy. He will stare at you lovingly when you're brushing your teeth. He will do anything for a Dorito. And so that's fine. That's what Magnus is to that person. And now we instantly have a framework with which to approach Magnus and his mom, actually even before they come in the door, if we do it online or beforehand. So if you imagine coming in and the front desk person saying, oh, oh, here we go, we got a good citizen coming in, here comes Magnus, how cool would that be that you've already connected at that client's level as compared to, uh, who is this? <laughs> uh, the, your name is, you know? And so in the exam room, Magnus is addressed as his mom described him and the bond to the staff and to the practice immediately begins to grow because the bond between the pet and the pet parent has already been defined and validated. That's already done. We don't have to do that work. So history for a new patient will come quickly and the doctor can listen closely for specifics. And it sounds like, again, so tell me what about Magnus makes him a good citizen? So you will hear something like, oh my gosh, he loves to go to the park. When he, we go to the dog park, he loves the people than the other dogs there. He has to go from person to person and see everybody. And then his other favorite thing is to go and drink right out of that big giant water bowl <laughs> that's really gross and uh, snarf him as much water up as he can and then run around and give kisses 
to as many other dogs as he can. <laughs> okay, well, we got that, that's amazing. Magnus is quite the, uh, the kisser. So here's some things to think about in your brain while you're hearing this. Lepto, Lyme, flea tick, heartworm prevention, Bordetella, CIV, all that stuff is popping into your mind right away automatically. And now you have that framework and that person has given us all that information and it happened passively. It's a beautiful thing. All because she was given the opportunity to demonstrate in her own terms that she's quite literally the world expert on Magnus. And now that's established. Based on that, we can speak directly to her in alignment with her impression of Magnus. So, you know, I always love caring for good citizens. That's, that's one of my favorite uh, personalities to care for. You can say you know, whatever, there's, there's special souls. I don't need to tell you that. But, you know, the thing about good citizens is they like to check on everyone and they are into everything. And, you know, for everything that you told me about Magnus, I mean, there, there are a couple of risks that he has that I think we can talk about. Because my goal is the same as yours. I want to keep Magnus doing his thing for a really long time. And some of what you've told me means that we need to build a strong protection program based on his personality and habits. And so the things that are on that preventative list, honestly, are probably no different than they were before this was you know, installed. That's fine. The, the recommendations are the recommendations for, for pets, for dogs, and for exposure. But the pet parent's experience is different. Their belief and perceptions were requested and utilized in a risk assessment and because of this, their compliance will be better, all without using much additional exam room time. And so really just doing this, it's not a whole lot of work. And the work is not so much about just having the one page sheet. It's, it's really just having a staff who's willing to adjust a couple words, the way they say things, just a little bit. It'll be fun. You know, I think a staff who really likes to try new things and progressive stuff get a lot of fun. Role playing, right? Absolutely. We love role playing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I think people, I, I did a Facebook survey on this and people absolutely ate it up. They loved it. They love to say, I live with a challenger. I live with an explorer, you know, because it, it puts them in kind of a cool little special club. And, and interestingly, I guess last point on this is the reality is as much as we talk about the human animal bond, not everybody is completely infatuated with their pet or their dog. There are some people who are, <laughs> are maybe, I don't know, not indifferent, but maybe. Or they're the person who's like, I'm just, I, my wife told me to bring her in today. I don't want to think about it. So would this work with those people? Yeah, actually, it's just a little bit of a different approach in that interesting life. These people may not really be fond of who's sitting under the chair with them, but they will almost always come up with a personality statement. And it, it, it's even like, you know what? I can't stand this dog. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, because... The minute he's out the door, he is digging out my garden and drinking out of my koi pond. I mean, I don't, I want him to be healthy, I guess, but geez, we are just not best friends because of that. Wow, you just got a little gift there. So it'd be interesting, those people just will still pick out personalities because it's in that case actually separated from their feelings about the dog. And so the recommendations again, haven't changed. That's the overarching goal here. And there's lots of room, I think for tweaking here if you'd like. But the, the vehicle that we're using to get to those recommendations has changed. And it's back to developing an approach where we're speaking on a frequency to which the client is tuned and they can finally hear the recommendations that we're giving. 
Absolutely. I could not agree more that just the experience for everybody involved when you're speaking from that place of, of the human animal bond of understanding and empathizing with the relationship between that person and their pet, you just get a whole lot more done and it's just a better experience for everybody. No doubt. And there's been study after study that's shown that really that so early on veterinarians really felt that they needed to connect at the level of the practice to the owner because the owner is the one with the car to get them there and the checkbook and all that. But it really what it is focusing on that initial connection between the pet and the pet owner first, and then the other bonds blossom from there. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Flynn, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? I think you've seen links where this is available. I'd love to hear your thoughts as you guys implement it. I certainly am very thankful to you and to Zoetis and everybody who's made this possible. And it's, it's very fun. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being here. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope this episode offered an additional perspective on the relationship between our patients and their two-legged companions. Thank you, Dr. Flynn, for joining us and to Zoetis for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about the human-animal bond, be sure to check out the human-animal bond certification course on vetfolio.com. You can also check out the human-animal bond association at humananimalbond.net. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on vetfolio.com. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.